Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. You're expecting to see Ron Paul's face, but you're stuck with mine. Ron Paul is away. Uh, he's out giving a speech and uh, hopefully enjoying some sunshine. Uh, but don't fear, we have a good show for you today. Uh, my good friend Jeff Deist is joining us. Uh, Jeff is a former chief of staff for Ron Paul, as most of you know, and now is president of the Mises Institute. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks, Daniel. Good to see you. It's great to be uh, back talking with you again. And I mean, I think as as we start thinking more and more about what they're what they're saying, uh, inflation, a bottleneck, a supply chain, a labor shortage. It seems like now the sort of pandemic has is shifting a little bit from the realm of civil liberties, and whether well, it's still a lot of that, uh, and just panic over the virus to really the economic hangover. And that, I think, you know, presents a great opportunity for free market thinkers, for the Mises Institute and those that are thinking properly. Now, they all want to say, well, all of this stuff, uh, we couldn't have known it would happen because we were so busy fighting the pandemic, you know, and you guys just need to suck it up. Whereas Jen Psaki, uh, the White House spokesperson, said it's only inflation because people want to buy so much because the economy is doing so well. Well, you say bunk to all that, Jeff. Uh, and explain to us why. It's interesting, isn't it? There's so much going on right now between COVID and supply chain issues and inflation. Nobody seems to really understand. But I think we have to go back first and foremost to the lockdowns of last year, beginning in March and April of 2020. We have to remember that when you send people home, uh, when they don't go to work, when they by definition produce fewer goods and services, they travel less, they fly less, they eat out less, they uh, go out to dinner less. But also, in any sort of economic uncertainty, people hoard money more. They save more cash balances in their bank accounts. And we have empirical data to show this. When all of these things happen during a time of great uncertainty, and of course, March and April of last year, where government produced uncertainty, you know, all of that is hugely, enormously deflationary. By definition, people are doing and producing and spending less. But at the same time, our fiscal and monetary policy were aimed at creating inflationary pressures by producing more dollars and more credit on both the fiscal and the monetary side. Stimulus payments, mm. PPP loans to businesses, uh, all this money to states, which they're now using for all kinds of things totally unrelated to COVID. So you have these twin forces of deflation and inflation. And of course, government and central bankers always want inflation because that makes it easier to get stuff today and pay for it tomorrow, which politicians like and central bankers like. So the question is, is which one's going to prevail? But if we think about what's going on now, it's, it's really about central planning. I mean, we have had a system of semi-central planning over the economy and over the money supply for the last uh, almost two years now. And so as a result of semi-central planning, we have semi-shortages. I mean, go to your grocery store, go to your local car dealer, uh, go try to or order carpet or drapes, go try to find all kinds of supplies at your plumbing store. You know, all these shortages are because we haven't let markets operate to rebound from COVID. So my, my friend John Tamney actually wrote a piece in Forbes the other day where he said, you know, this is really about central planning. This isn't so much about inflation or supply chain. This is about a government induced and a government produced problem with how we all get stuff, how we all get goods and services. And increasingly, we get stuff from around the world. We have a global supply chain. 
Uh, a lot of stuff is cheap because we have a just-in-time delivery system. Uh, businesses and warehouses don't have to have lots and lots of inventory. They can simply uh, order it up when you make that purchase on Amazon. And so we have a global network of shipping back and forth, especially with China. Uh, we have a rail system. We have a trucking system. All of this results in this miracle, which we all enjoy every morning when you can go to Target and there's you know, the, the toothbrush you wanted to buy is there for you. So yeah. we get a little we get a little weirded out when it's not there for us. But we have to understand that this isn't some amorphous uh, thing that happened in the economy. This was something that was driven by the lockdowns. Yeah, I'll tell you what, from personal experience, Jeff, I went to get some tires on my car yesterday, on my van yesterday. And A, the price was way up. But I asked the guys who run it, it's a local Brazosport tire, great guys. I said, you guys, if you're having some problems getting tires, he said, are you kidding? We can't get them. There's a huge wait, weeks and weeks and weeks, especially for the bigger ones. So, I mean, it's hitting every, every aspect of the economy. And, um, but the Tammany piece was interesting. And I, I, mean, I really like the way he, he starts it out and tries to explain the incredible complexity of an economy, as you just described, as ours is. Here's a great quote that he had. Supply lines are impossibly complicated structures that no politician could ever hope to design. Isn't that the truth? But the one thing we know about politicians, Jeff, is the incredible hubris. Their hubris is sort of in direct proportion to their ignorance, I think, when it comes to that. And I think they thought all along, we can fix this, we can switch this off. No big deal. We'll switch it back on. Well, that's just it. You can't switch it back on. The economy is not a machine. And if you look at uh, businesses like rental cars, you know, they panicked last year, and rightfully so. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how long uh, the travel restrictions would last. They didn't know how long uh, nobody would be, you know, traveling for personal vacations or for business or whatever. So they did what seemed rational at the time, and it probably was rational, which is they sold off a lot of their fleets. And so now that travel is back almost domestically to pre-COVID levels, you know, they don't have enough rental cars. And you'll see a lot of shortages in cities. You'll see, you know, $250 a day for a rental car. And you can hardly blame these companies if they're a little gun shy about simply ramping up and buying fleets again because they don't know what the Biden administration is going to do. They don't know if there's going to be some goofy Delta variant or the next variant, whatever, the Zeta variant, and if travel is going to plummet again. So th this uncertainty is really bad for supply chain. The other thing is terrible for supply chain is, is inflation. And so I got to disagree. Uh, pretty vehemently with John Tamney's take on monetary policy in that article. I do think that all the fiscal and monetary expansion of new dollars is causing uh, part of the increases in prices we've seen. But a, a lot of what's going on is, of course, the supply shocks. You know, when, when supply is limited and demand stays the same or even grows for certain products, you know, that's going to be a problem. But I wanted to mention something to you, a talk given uh, just recently by a brand new governor at the Federal Reserve. His name is Christopher J. Waller. He actually, Daniel, gave some very forthright statements. Usually these Fed guys uh, use Fed speak, but he gave some pretty forthright statements about how they're able to manipulate data with respect to inflation. And so what we've seen over the past year is there's been uh, tremendous spikes in certain prices, like, for example, lumber, for example, used cars. You know, these are two uh, idiosyncratic forms of inflation is what the Fed guys say, uh, you know, whereas demand went really high for these things, but the, the supply was very limited. So what they're able to do is throw out some of these idiosyncratic 
elements of the economy uh, and say, well, if you take away rental cars and lumber, inflation is actually well below 2%, that sort of thing. Uh, so this is, this is very, very interesting to hear a Fed governor this honest. But I'll tell you what, Daniel, where, where they're going to have a hard time, and when I say they, I mean central bankers, I mean the Biden administration, I mean all these economists, they're going to have a hard time with the two things which people buy every day and see every day, which is food and gas. Mm. And, you know, though that's where prices are really rising. And gasoline affects the price of everything you buy, because ultimately everything you buy got to your local store, your town on a truck at the end of that distribution chain. So uh, this, I think, potentially spells a lot of trouble for Biden, and he deserves it. And they still don't get it. They want to use the same tools that caused the problems to fix the problems, which is, as you say, central planning. And Tammany makes a good point on this, and I'm going to read a little bit from his piece. He said, if you want a bigger laugh, read about what President Biden wants to do in order to get supply back in the market with an eye on replenishing U.S. retail shelves. He's decreed a 24-hour port operations. Yes, thanks to the 46th president, we now know what held the Soviets back and ultimately destroyed the Soviet Union. Their ports weren't open long enough, thus the shortages of everything. Good point, right? Well, let's also talk about shortages of labor. I spent this past weekend in Florida at a big resort hotel, one of those kind of hotels that requires an awful lot of staff, a lot of moving parts between all the food, uh, the maid service, the valets, the banquet setup. And you could really tell that this hotel was struggling, that they were sort of barely making it. Although it was a wonderful experience, I don't blame them. You know, there's a lot of people staying home. A lot of people have quit work. Over 4 million people have quit work in just the past 18 months, which is actually a record for that period in in uh, recent American history. And so for a long time, we had enhanced unemployment benefits. For a long time, we had rent moratoria. And so when you put all this in a blender and you say, you know, people don't even want to work for 15 or $20 an hour, it really makes you wonder on the supply side, if the Biden administration goes ahead with these vaccine mandates on uh, businesses over 100 employees, for example, and Auburn University, which is across the street from where I sit, has a couple hundred million dollars in federal contracts. So they would also be forced under this regimen, even if they didn't have 100 employees. You know, you got to wonder, um, how are these businesses, you know, hospitals, restaurants, uh, airlines, how are they going to be able to staff up, even if they just lose five or 10 percent of their current workforce? I think that's going to be a real problem. You know, there was a good piece on that topic, uh, Jeff, on CNBC today, and it talked about how businesses are going back and forth uh, in, in the White House, begging the president and the administration to hold off on implementing this. And it's not, in, it's not a law, as we know, and it's not even an executive order. It's a rule made by OSHA, uh, which is a pretty big stretch, but begging them to back off on this until the holidays are over. And I don't think that you have to be a visionary to see a perfect storm on the horizon where you have already a problem. They've already warned you're not going to be able to get your goodies for Christmas on time. It's not going to happen. Uh, when you have this and then you add to it a massive, as you say, a massive uh, exodus of workers. Here's a couple of things uh, that they mentioned. Um, what well, was trucking companies, realtors, staffing companies, etc. They keep going through and talking to the administration, begging them. The American Trucking Association is already short 80,000 drivers, they've said, and they believe that if this mandate or this whatever it's called is enforced, 
they will lose an additional 37% of the drivers. They're going to walk away from the job. Talk about a disaster. Uh, the CNBC report also included something from the Kaiser Family Foundation. It was a survey of Americans, and it was pretty interesting. Of those people who have, to this point, not been vaccinated, and we're talking about millions and millions of people, according to this survey, only 12% of those people would get vaxxed if the mandate comes in. Only 12. The rest will be divided between those who say, I, I quit, or I'll go ahead and take a weekly test. So you're looking at a massive, massive shift in what happens in the U.S. labor market if they go ahead with this. It's interesting, isn't it, how our friends on the left uh, have suddenly forgotten their support for worker uh, collective <laughs> bargaining power yeah. and worker rights. That's, that's interesting to me. And you wonder if we haven't sort of reached a natural limit. In other words, almost everyone who wants or intends to get the vaccine has already gotten it. I don't know if that's true, but what if it is true? Yeah. And, and I suspect that the vaccination rates are lower than reported. That's actually my suspicion, is that there's more people out there. It's just the, the, the pro-vaccine crowd, I think, is louder, um, more represented in mainstream and social media. So I suspect, uh, I, want, I don't want to say a silent majority out there, but a, a, a large, sizable, silent minority, uh, which is just like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this thing. And of course, for the guy or gal who's making twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year, um, losing their job uh, is going to be a real problem. But but we need people who have millions and millions of dollars, who are well off, who are who are uh, you know already wealthy, to lead the charge on this and to make the case for these lower-paid workers. Because frankly, at this point, I think unless you've been in a cabin in the woods for the last year and a half, you've probably already been exposed to COVID. So, you know, people are out there, they want to work, and, and we have to let them work. So uh, the Biden administration is really sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth here. They want to say that inflation is transitory, it's not a problem, but then they want to continue to impose these mandates, which are going to restrict supply of workers, which is ultimately going to restrict supply of the goods and services we all want. And boy, Christmas time, if fuel keeps rising, for example, uh, that is going to affect uh, what all of these companies charge you to deliver things to your home or to your local target for Christmas time. And that's, that's going to be, I think, a very uh, unhappy and depressing reality for America. And I think the blame is going to go squarely on Biden. And he doesn't have a lot of cushion right there in his approval rating. But I think more and more Americans are also starting to understand that the whole rationale of the vaccine mandate has gone by the wayside. And it's not because, unfortunately, that our arguments have prevailed. But the people that we're told to turn to for the science, their arguments have prevailed. Aside from President Biden, who in a recent speech indicates that he still believes the vaccine can prevent the, the virus from being spread. Uh, in fact, the person that he's hired to be his expert for that, which is Rochelle Walensky, the woman in charge of the CDC, she said, and we talked about this many times, she said back in August, what this vaccine can no longer do is prevent transmission of or uh, infection with the virus. So if that is the case, and we'll take her for her word, if that is the case, then the whole rationale that you have to vaccinate every worker so they don't get anyone else sick doesn't make sense if the vaccinated and unvaccinated are both capable of transmitting the disease. And this is not rocket science. And I think a lot of people are starting to, 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 to listen to that and say, hmm, something is really wrong here. Why are they pushing so hard when the rationale and logic behind the push is so full of holes. 
Well, and it keeps changing. That's the other thing. It's changed so many times in the last 20 months. You know, first it was two weeks and then don't, you know, first it was don't wear a mask. First, it was go ahead and travel, come down to Chinatown, is what Nancy Pelosi <laughs> famously said. You know, so it's changed so many times that what, you know, uh, Robert Higgs has a great expression for this called regime uncertainty. And it's this uncertainty, not so much of the virus, but what governments and the Biden administration are going to do in response to various, um, you know, variants of the virus or to economic shocks with fiscal and monetary policy. It's this uncertainty which is making businesses hesitant and making entrepreneurs scratch their heads. So if, if government got out of the way, I think we would find that the supply chain would ramp up pretty nicely and we would have the stuff we want, albeit maybe at higher prices, thanks to the Fed, uh, you know, available for Christmas. But they're not going to get out of the way. And more importantly, they're going to get in the way in ways we can't predict necessarily. So that's that's what's so harmful here is that we have a, a government which is not not rooted in principles or any kind of North Star, but one which just sort of lurches around on an ad hoc basis, responding to the latest thing that happens or the latest medical, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, you know, the latest thing that happens with me medicine or the latest thing that happens with the vaccine or the latest thing that happens um, with the economy. So it's it's really an unfortunate and, and uh it's an unfortunate time for America, and I think the Biden administration needs to get out of the way. Yeah, well, you know, the CEO of Twitter, Jack, uh, who I'm still mad at because he kicked me off his site for saying something nasty about Hannity. Nevertheless, he got a lot of traction yesterday uh, with a tweet that simply said, hyperinflation is going to change everything. It's happening. Do you think he's right or do you think he's off the mark? Well, hyperinflation has a specific definition in economics, and no, I don't think hyperinflation is imminent, but real inflation, you know, we're talking five, eight, even 10%, which doesn't qualify as hyperinflation is nonetheless absolutely disastrous to people who live closer to the bone, let's just say. Uh, again, if a guy or gal makes $25,000 a year and their grocery bill or their gasoline bill to get to and from their job, if that doubles, uh, that is a serious, serious problem for them. The guy who makes $500,000 a year, if his gas or grocery bill doubles, that's kind of an irritation. So inflation has always been something very insidious, which hurts the poorest people the most. And, um, you know, Jack's, he's not wrong to warn about it. I don't think that that's eminent simply because I think the U.S. dollar is so strong relative to other currencies. And because I think there's not a lot of places right now uh, for investors and dollar holders to go. In other words, it's the least dirty shirt in the laundry. Now, that could certainly change and unravel over time. But uh, the fact that someone is prominent, as, as Jack Dorsey is tweeting that, I think is news in and of, of itself. Yeah, well, Jeff, <clears throat> we'll close out on a, on, a, on a hopeful note. And I know you're really excited about this. I know you've, you've got your Amazon Prime. Uh, on November 12th, a new Prime video is coming out called Mayor Pete. Win or lose, their story changed history. And it's uh, very exciting. But uh, in more serious way, I, I sort of think that the whole brouhaha over our transportation secretary's extended paternity leave is a good opportunity. Maybe you disagree, but it's a good opportunity for, for real free marketers to make a good point. Because, of course, the left says, oh, this is wonderful. The paternity leave is essential. Don't hassle the guy and his husband. They've got to take care of these kids, etc. Whereas a conventional right would say, get back to work. 
Mayor Pete, and fix these supply chain problems. But over at Mises and among the free market people, there'd be a different response, correct? Well, he can't fix anything. We don't need a Secretary of Transportation, for God's sakes. Uh, let the guy stay on vacation. Whatever we're paying him as taxpayers, he, he's, you know, just keep him away from the office would be my take. <laughs> Good one. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Jeff. It's been really interesting to, to take a look at these issues from a different perspective. Uh, there's a lot to be worried about. The hangover from the lockdowns, which, as we know, did nothing to change the trajectory of the virus over the past year and a half, nearly two years now, did nothing but harm. And now we're still, we're going to feel this harm well into the future. Jeff Dyes, president of the Mises Institute. Visit the institute, Mises.org. You can get an entire education for free if you simply go there and start clicking on uh, their amazing library and their amazing programs. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Daniel. And I want to thank all the viewers for tuning in to the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Please come back to the report soon.